Thanks for tuning in to MANA, a short daily meditation to feed hungry souls with God's Word. These episodes were prepared by ordained ministers for a radio broadcast called Voice of the Church and are now republished by the Reformed Perspective Foundation, a Canadian charity that applies biblical truth to the issues of our time. Here's today's serving. Dear friends of the Voice of the Church, my name is Paul Aisman. I'm the pastor of the Streetlight Christian Church. It's a small church in downtown Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. I'm bringing messages this month from the Gospel according to Luke. The message I want to bring today is from Luke chapter 7, the first story that Luke tells us there. It is about the faith of the centurion. I'd like to just share that story a little bit with you. In this uh, account, we read about a centurion who had a a servant who became very sick and was about to die. And he thought he would get Jesus to come and heal him. So he sent the elders of the Jews in the village of Capernaum to Jesus to get him to come and heal his servant. Uh, This is what they said to Jesus. In verse 4, we read, When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him, This man deserves to have you do this, because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. And so Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself. I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That's why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him, and turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. In the previous chapter, in Luke chapter 6, Jesus had delivered what's called the Sermon on the Plain. It is very much like the more famous sermon called the Sermon on the Mount. For the Sermon on the Plain is in the Gospel of Luke, where Jesus lays the foundation for his claim to be the great Lord. He declared blessing and curses. He calls us to obedience, to very high levels of obedience, for he says that in my kingdom you must love your enemy. And finally he identified himself as the great judge before whom all men must one day appear. And therefore, he says, build your house upon the rock. Build your house upon obedience to me. Right after the sermon is finished, Luke tells us that as Jesus is returning to Capernaum, the elders of his home church come and challenge his lordship. Here's how it goes. A centurion, a Roman military officer who has a hundred soldiers under his command, he had a servant whom he valued very much. His servant was sick, in danger of dying. The elders came earnestly pleading with Jesus to heal his servant. 
Now, if that's all that they had done, that would have been okay. But Luke says that they added this: "This man deserves to have you do this, because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue." And so they tried to put Jesus under obligation to the centurion. He deserves to have you do this for him. In a sense, they're trying to force Jesus to do this act of healing, because the centurion had done an act of favor for the Jewish people in Capernaum, and, and this is now the town where Jesus lives, and so Jesus, like all the Jews in Capernaum, owes it to the centurion. That's the thinking of the religious leaders of the of the elders of that town. They couldn't just ask Jesus to do it; they wanted to force him to do it. They wanted to get Jesus to pay their debt, so it's kind of surprising to read that Jesus seems to consent, for he goes with them on the way to the house of the centurion. But by going with them, Jesus isn't agreeing with them. This is what I would call as an example of condescension. This is during Jesus' humiliation. People didn't treat Jesus as the Lord, but more as a servant. Soon, the glory of His lordship would be revealed, but not yet. And so, Jesus acts as a servant, as one under obligation, and He goes with them in order to heal the centurion's servant. People are using Jesus for their own purpose, but the centurion has a totally different attitude toward Jesus. He had incredibly high regard for him. While Jesus and the elders are traveling to the centurion's house, news travels swiftly. The centurion learns that Jesus is on the way. Immediately, he dispatches friends with a message: "Lord, do not trouble yourself. I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you." John the Baptist had said that Jesus is so glorious that he is not worthy to untie the thong of his sandal. Well, the centurion has a, the same sense of awe and amazement about the privilege of having communication with Jesus. He is completely humble before Jesus. The centurion knows that if he should receive anything from the Lord, he could only get it as a result of begging. Asking for mercy, he has nothing over Jesus. Nothing he had was worthy of the Lord. That's the way that the centurion is thinking, and that's that's saying quite a lot because the centurion is a military man. He knows about power and authority because he wields these things. He commands a soldier to go, and he goes. And to another, he says, "Come," and and he comes. People obey him. Because he commands it, the centurion knows that Jesus can do the same, but he also knows that Jesus can do far more than he could, because Jesus can not just command people to do things; Jesus can command things, and they obey. He can command a disease to come, and it'll come, or to go, and it obeys. He recognizes in Jesus the same power that we recognize in God. The God who is introduced in the Bible as who, as the one who appears and and says, 
let there be light, and light begins to shine, even though it doesn't yet exist. The Bible introduces in the opening verses of the Bible, it introduces a God who commands the stars to shine in the universe, and they shine because he commands them to do it. The centurion recognizes that Jesus has that power. He recognizes that in Jesus lies divine power and authority. And the person who exercises divine authority and power is a great and awesome Lord. Jesus is very amazed when he learns about the way that the centurion thinks about him. And so he says in verse 9, when Jesus heard these things, he marveled. That's what Luke tells us. He marveled. He did not expect that from his own people. The centurion doesn't, as it turns out, he doesn't love this nation. He loves their God. And he humbles himself before this nation's God. And though he's a very powerful man, he begs for God's power the way a child asks for mercy from an adult. And that impresses Jesus. Not even in Israel had he seen such faith. Do you see the important lesson here? What makes you great in God's eyes is when you make yourself small before him. When you make yourself humble before him. When you do that, when you make yourself small and humble, then God, he will love you. And he cannot stop himself from bending down to pick you up. And the humbler you are, the richer he pours his blessings out on you. This is a message that God brings to us frequently in the Bible. I think of one of the most beautiful examples of that in Isaiah. The, the prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament, he writes in chapter 57, Thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place, but also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. That's the kind of God that, that we are dealing with in the Bible. He's a God who cannot help but to bend down and pick up those who humble themselves before him, those who are of a lowly spirit and a contrite heart. A humble person comes before this God, and, and like the centurion says, God, I, I need you, but I fear you. I need your mercy and I need your blessing, but I'm such a sinful person that I, I fear to have you come into my house. To such a one, God gives the power to be bold. The Apostle Paul tells us that he gives us the spirit of, of adoption so that we cry out, Abba, Father, bless me, save me, be near to me, comfort me, strengthen me, love me. He gives the Holy Spirit the spirit of, of adoption to those whom he loves. The church doesn't deserve this from God. Nobody does. But we all need God. Let us then go to him like the centurion went to Jesus. Let us go to God with a humble heart and a lowly spirit. If you do that, then you will amaze God. Yes, you can amaze God. By bowing before him and asking, not demanding, 
ask him without thinking that you deserve it from him. Ask him for the things you need. Ask him for the things that are so important to you. And you will be amazed. And he will amaze you. Yes, he will. He will amaze you with his love and with his mercy. Thank you for listening to this message again. Until next time, goodbye.